You're listening to Selfish. This is where we bring self-care and bravery together to encourage you to follow your dreams. Here's your host, your favorite selfish enthusiast, Allie Hembree-Martin. Christy Crenshaw may be a former Miss Kentucky, but she is still owning that title as far as I'm concerned because she is helping other women own their voice, not to mention the fun projects she has up her sleeve coming soon. Christy, I am so excited to have you here talking with me today. Thank you so much for joining me. Oh, thank you, Allie. It's such a pleasure to be here. I look forward to uh, to chatting with you and all of your followers. Yes. So first, Christy, tell us about yourself. I am a woman evolving. I am a work in progress. I'm a lifelong learner. I've worked in both the corporate and the creative setting. My degrees are in theater and radio television. And I finally started my own company last fall to work in the life coaching industry, the speaking industry, to help women really settle into who they are, embrace it, to feed it, nurture it, and take over the world. No pressure there. I love that. <laughs> Take um, over their corner of the world, if you will. Yes. It doesn't have to be world domination. But, um, I am married to my best friend. I live in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, I'm the youngest of six children who oh. still, at, at 47, you kind of feel that dynamic when you go home. Uh, <laughs> it doesn't matter how old you get. Mm-hmm. You're still the baby of the family. So I've, I've, I've been able to utilize a lot of my own tools on coaching to interact with my own family of origin, if you will. So it's been a great opportunity for me to practice what I preach. Mm, I love that. Yeah, that's definitely, it's like you, whenever I read those self-help books or I just finished one on emotional intelligence and you're reading things, you're Uh like, yeah, I can practice that right away with my family members. Right away. (laughs) (laughs) Put that right into practice. So a big part of your background is that you are a former Miss Kentucky from the Miss America program and Miss Mm -hmm. Kentucky Teen USA. Those are amazing titles. And, you know, coming from, you know, just the the Kentucky background of these programs is just there's so much pressure and it's an intense competition. Tell us about how, you know, working towards those titles and really even just serving in those titles shaped the future and who you are today. Pageants are awesome. I mean, they can be uh, nerve wracking. They can be a breeding ground for mean girls, but they can also be a pretty amazing petri dish, if you will, of experimentation and learning and exploration of who you are becoming. When I competed in the Miss Teen USA, we'll do that one first because I was 16, 17 when I did that. Mm I was kind of new to pageants. I didn't really know what I was doing, to be quite honest with you. The Miss Kentucky Teen USA in um, 89 was, there were were 126 competitors. I wore a dress that my Aunt Rita made from a McCall's pattern. I wore a swimsuit that I bought at JCPenney that was like two-tone. I wore black high heels with them. I did not know what I was doing, but I was having a heck of a lot of fun. And I think that translated in some form or fashion uh, because I won at the first time competing. Now, I did. I was a, a student that competed in speech and theater, so my speaking skills were very strong. And I was uh, very active in extracurricular activities. I was an AB student, so I was you know, fairly intelligent, could express myself. So I know those, those factors helped me as well. But 
I really didn't know what the heck I was doing. Um, getting to Miss Teen USA was an incredible experience. It was the first time that I flew anywhere. I was in San Bernardino, California. I got to meet women, young women from all over the country. That was an eye opener because you're meeting people of different religious backgrounds that live in big cities, that live in huge farms, that, you know, you had a chance to really meet people from different backgrounds. And that was a thrill. So it was my my first time really having um, any publicity, I guess, on a national stage. And that was pretty amazing. Coming home to my small town of Bardstown at the age of 17, there were signs in all the store windows, oh. like congratulating me and telling me how you know great I was. And that was kind of weird, too, because you're in a small town. With um, the Miss Kentucky America, it's a different system, and it is uh, scholarship and service-driven. So I'm the youngest of six kids. My dad was a water treatment plant supervisor for Jim Beam Distillery for 32 years. We did not have big bags of money laying around. And I knew that I wanted to go to college. So competing in the Miss America program was the way that I planned to earn scholarship. And I did wind up paying for, once once it was all, all tallied up, 75% of all of my books, tuition, expenses wow. uh, for my four-year degree at Moorhead State University. That's huge. It, it was, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's school, college is so expensive. And, you know, you, I had a work study, so I did work 20 hours a week um, at the admissions office there and, and toured incoming potential students. And, um, you know, I carried probably 18, 19 hours a semester with mm. double major theater and radio television. Mm-hmm. But um, being able to leave college with very little debt mm. was huge. Yeah. It's That's a great a program. Changer. It's not yeah. so much. Yeah. And it's not so much winning the title so much as who you become in pursuit of that. Because of the phases of competition, it forces you to be more physically fit. You have a talent portion, which I sang. I mean, I'm not a great singer. I'll own that, but I sold a song. Mm. Um, you have to be aware of current events and what's going on in the world and be able to express your opinion about that. Yes. So, um, it's, it's a, it's a great, it's a great program. I highly recommend, um, getting involved in that and supporting it. And it's, it's evolving over time as well. I mean, they've just kind of come out with this Miss America 2.0 and, um, right. you know, they're really growing and evolving with the changes of society. So, you know, it's not, you know, some historic program, like they really are meeting the needs and helping women today grow, just like you said. Yeah, it's come a long way from the the bathing beauty competition on the Atlantic City boardwalk. And it is responding to uh, what is happening in the world around us and allowing women an opportunity to step up to put a spotlight on the issues they care about to give them a voice and a platform to do that and you know swimsuits having removed that because once you win the pageant you never you never once make an appearance in your swimsuit <laughs> so, I mean goodness, I get right? it they want you to be physically fit but yeah, yeah. you know you you speak you do your talent, you, yes. you do all sorts of other things, but you never show up in a swimsuit anywhere. So <laughs> right, right. that one didn't make sense to me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that, that was a good change and, um, get it relieves a lot of anxiety for, for women competing in that program. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, yes, physical fitness is important and not everybody looks the same at their height of physical fitness. 
And I think a lot of women, because they feel this, this Barbie doll pressure to look a certain way, would have not entered into that system for that reason. Mm-hmm. And that removes that barrier. Mm-hmm. And now, you know, regardless of where you stand on the, the swimsuit or no swimsuit issue, we are bringing women into the program who have um, really incredible agendas. They have incredible trajectories that they are working very hard to achieve in their lives. And, you know, scholarship is a key proponent of making that happen. Right. So I'm, I'm happy to see the changes um, that have transpired in the system. That's great. And, you know, as you mentioned, now you're a life coach and interview coach for professional women. And I know yes. you, you often work with um, I, I know you're working with the current Miss Kentucky. Um, yes, you know, prepping, Frankie. Mm-hmm. Yes, prepping her for the Miss America pageant. So, uh, and program. What led you to to move into this space and and start working with women? I know it's a passion of yours, but you know, was there a moment in time that really kind of made you say, "This is what I'm going to do"? Uh, two things happened that led me to this. First of all, seeing the benefits of it in my own life. Um, I stumbled across Brooke Castillo of the Life Coach School many years ago. I uh, was introduced to her by Laura Wagner, who is also a life coach and a licensed marriage and family therapist. And Brooke's teachings really resonated with me. I love the model that she uses. I utilize that with my own clients. So seeing the benefits, once I applied that in my own life and seeing the benefits of relationships changing, of my view and vision for myself changing... It's improved my marriage. It's improved uh, my career success. That is one thing. The second thing is, you know, for 10 years prior to this, I was a freelance writer and a makeup artist. And I know that doesn't sound like they would be, um, you know, two things that would happen simultaneously. But um, when you're a freelance writer, unless you make it big, you're not making a whole lot of money. Mm -mm. So I did supplement my income by working as a makeup artist. I was a regional artist for uh, Christian Dior, Mac, Longcomb. And being able to sit down with a woman in that setting when you're doing their makeup for a special event, you have that level of intimacy. Like they have no makeup on. Mm-hmm. They are naked faced. They Their barriers are dropped. They feel very vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And so you wind up having these conversations that you don't expect to have. You know, they, they treat you like the bartender or the hairdresser and that they tell you everything. <laughs> so I, I wound up having a lot of these really interesting one-on-one conversations uh, where people were just opening up, bearing their soul. And I found out that I really enjoyed that. I enjoyed um, sharing in those stories and bouncing ideas off with them. Now, I'm not a therapist. And a therapist will typically deal with things in your past, whereas a coach is more forward-focused. They're, they're looking at your present situation. Where do you want to be in the future? How do we get you there? So coaching for me, that was a thrill to be able to have some input, to ask questions. And as a, a writer, you know, I've, I've written for many, many magazines um, here in Louisville, especially Churchill Downs, The Voice Tribune, Tops Louisville, In Focus when it was in publication. And I often did features on particular people. So I was sitting down with them and asking them, them questions. Oftentimes they said, wow, no one's ever asked me that, or that's a really interesting question. Never really thought about that. So having that ability to ask the right questions to lead someone to their own discovery is, is thrilling. That's exciting. When you see that light bulb moment in a client, it's a little thrill, I got to tell you. <laughs> and I love that because I'm so fascinated in the journey 
that lead people to their ultimate dream or mm-hmm. you know, maybe they didn't even know it was their dream. But it's I love that, you know, even just being a makeup artist really did in, you know, kind of tune you into what you are really good at and what you enjoy. And, you know, kind of blending those two into something that you can be really good at, really enjoy and do for a living. So (laughs) I I love that makeup is what led you there, but it makes complete sense. Yeah, it was it was an interesting segue. They're like, okay, writer, makeup artist, I don't get that. But when you look at the two of those together, And how it leads to that intimate conversation and then helping to propel someone to really see themselves in their best light mm. and to imagine their best possibility for themselves. That's kind of how it morphed into mm. that. So when you're working with women and, you know, kind of encouraging them to focus on their goals and their dreams for the future, what are the biggest mistakes you're seeing women make when it comes to that decision making and mm-hmm. you know, kind of making that jump? Yeah. Uh, The biggest mistake, I believe, is women not trusting their gut, their inner compass quickly enough. When I look back at my life and, you know, my adult life from, say, 20 to 40, I see that every moment where I was experiencing the most pain, the greatest disappointment, uh, the most excruciating you know, crazy, I'm, I'm, I'm hurting, life isn't fair, all of those moments where we start blaming everything outside of ourselves. It's when I did not listen to my inner compass. Mm. There was a hint of it. I'm like, yeah, okay, maybe. I was in that phase where I was looking outside of myself for validation, for uh, confirmation. And that is a recipe for disaster. When I had those moments and I ignored it, I did trust myself as much as I trusted other people. And that's wrong. <laughs> that, is, that is entirely wrong. Trusting ourselves, trusting your gut is huge. You have to be able to listen to yourself fully. When you get that red flag, when you get that little tug in the back of your head, pay attention, explore it, sit with it for a minute instead of just dismissing it as, oh, it's just me being silly. No, you're not being silly. There is something that you need to stop and pay attention to. Things may look great on paper, but the reality might be very different. Mm-hmm. And so I think women should listen to their their gut, their inner compass much more quickly than perhaps they have before. It's a great reminder. And, and something I don't think we do often enough, given that there are so many expectations of women and mm-hmm. kind of the patterns of you know, you do, you do this and then you go here and, um, you know, just there's those steps that are put in front of us. So I think women are getting better at it because we're talking more, we're voicing our opinions much more often. And sometimes it's that, that voicing, that talking it out that finally gets you to the, Oh yes, that's what that was. Mm. And you recognize it, you know, some, some major event transpires, either a, a relationship ends or, uh, a job turns toxic and you want to leave. But then you reflect for a moment and realize, oh, I kind of saw this coming, mm-hmm. but not really. Mm-hmm. Or I was a little concerned and here it is. So I just, I think it's worth paying attention to. We're, we are smarter. Our internal wisdom is smarter than we give it credit for. And do we get better at that over time as we start to identify those red flags? Do we get better at identifying them without having to talk it through? 
I think so, because uh, anything that you do more often, you know, practice, practice makes perfect. Mm. So the more often we stop, you know, one of the things that we'll do with life coaching is have a thought download in the morning and you look at your unintentional thoughts and then change them to intentional thoughts. So even with, with your interactions with other people, if you're having, you know, some, some relationship is going awry or you're not sure why you feel a certain way when you interact with this specific person, you can then, you know, take some time for yourself to really look at that and examine what you're feeling and why. Why are you assigning these thoughts to this circumstance that you can't control? And then how can you change the way you feel looking at that circumstance? Circumstances are neutral. Whether you are, someone breaks up with you, you get fired, you get a flat tire, whatever happens, that is a neutral thing. But we push these thoughts onto that thing that create the negative or positive feeling. And so we have to own that. Hmm. I mean, we all know people, you, you know, someone that's like happy as a clam 24 hmm. seven because they choose to be sure their life is not perfect. You know, life is usually going to be about 50, 50. I don't care whether you are flat broke or you're a millionaire, you're still going to get about 50, 50 of things are good. Things are not so good, mm -hmm. but how you choose to respond to it, that's on you entirely. So I think that actually goes perfectly hand in hand with, you know, your other, the other side of your business, as far as interview coaching and mm -hmm. you know, teaching women how to respond to these questions and, um, you know, tell their story kind of no matter what, what the path or the, the conversation may lead. Um, what mistakes do you see women making in interviews that maybe we can all be more conscious of in the future? Right. So uh, the life coaching did kind of lead into interview coaching because it's something that I naturally do well. And then I found that oftentimes in coaching with someone on the life issues, they wound up wanting to either up level in their current profession or they wanted to transition into a different industry altogether. So re-harnessing re our, our focus and energies and power on that transition uh, became a priority for me as well. The thing that I, I see many women doing that I would advise against is not seeking the win-win. In my opinion, interviews are high-stakes conversations. You've been having conversations your entire life. A conversation is give and take. Someone asks, someone answers, but it's not all one-sided. If we look for a win-win, it's not just about what I can get from this employer. It's what do I bring to the table that equals the value that then equals the money that I will ask for. Hmm. You know, women, this whole gender pay gap situation, we don't ask. That's part of our problem. Yep. We're not getting what we don't ask for. And you cannot expect someone to give you something you haven't asked for. So if you do your research and you know what the market value is, and you know what you bring to the table, be prepared to have that conversation. Many of us are very uncomfortable having the money conversation, but being able to really dig in and come prepared with your own questions because you're interviewing them just as much as they're interviewing you. It needs to be a win-win. Now, if you are someone who needs a job, like you are flat broke and you need a job, I get it. But if you come in with that graspy, desperate energy, that is not going to serve you well. You have mm. to look at the positive side of this is what I bring to the table. You're going to benefit from having me here, but I want you to pay me fairly for, for what I bring. 
Wow. I mean, that that is so important. And and it is something that, like you mentioned earlier, we're getting better, but yet we still we still have um, a long way to go. And right. And, and having that confidence to be able to to ask for what we deserve. Right. So kind of switching gears to to you and the work that you're doing, what what do you find most fulfilling about working in this space? Um, witnessing that light bulb moment. Um, you know, I had a client recently, her name was Rebecca. And when she came to me, we, we talked about where things were in her life. I went through this whole life. Where do you, where are you in your vision? Like on a scale of one to 10 in this whole wheel of life scenario, just like eight different categories. So we kind of ranked it. And by the end of 12 weeks together, she had improved in every area of her life. When she first started, she was in a job she hated. She did not know what she wanted to do. She just knew that this wasn't it. We were able to identify what was important to her as far as the work setting, the type of work, how she needed to feel in the day, what she wanted to experience in her normal day-to-day work life. And by identifying those characteristics, then we were able to look at some opportunities. Within five weeks, she identified her dream job. She applied for it. She interviewed for it and she got it. Wow. That was fun to watch. Yes. And, and you know, it doesn't always happen that quickly, but I kid you not, in 12 weeks, Mm. she was a changed woman. She was an absolute changed woman. And it it spilled over into other areas of her life, into her marriage, into her friendships. Um, And when you do that too, I just, you know, caution everyone. When you take on this new persona, you take on the new you, you have to let the old you go. Mm. And that hurts. That's not comfortable. That's not always fun. And sometimes relationships will disappear with that. Mm. Friendships may dwindle and fade away. You know, you've heard that, that expression that some people are in your life for a reason, a season, or a lifetime, or something like that. Um, sometimes you outgrow the relationships that you are currently in. But do you stay there or do you elevate to who you know you need to be? And that's something you need to prepare yourself for. So as if you didn't have enough going on, we had talked about how you have two books and a one-woman show in the works. So tell me about these. Yeah. So my degrees uh, were theater and radio television. I'm a little bit of a theater geek. Um unfulfilled theater geek, if you will. I got my SAG card in Nashville in 1997. I moved to Los Angeles in 2000 and SAG went on strike literally two weeks after my plane landed. So um, I, that was, you know, I didn't, didn't make it in LA. And that's always been kind of a latent thing, but I still love theater. I love movies. I love creating stories. So the two projects that I have, um, there, there was a competition put on by the Courier Journal called The Young Authors um, when I was in the seventh and eighth grade. And so I, we wrote books. We put them to the whole class. We wrote these books and we created books. Like we made the hard covers and they were bound with these little D-ring things. And so um, when I was moving in the last few years, one of our many moves, I uncovered that book from my seventh, eighth grade year. And so reading the poetry of this book <laughs> was... It was a very interesting little journey for me <laughs> uh, because, you know, seventh, eighth grade Christy was just in a different place. And uh, 
her 47-year-old Christy has a few things she'd like to share with the younger <laughs> version of me. So um, the book that I'm working on there is half-written. I am going to publish the book of poetry with my adult responses to it. Oh, my god. So it's goodness. like a conversation How with fun. me. Yeah, That's and I'm hoping this idea. will be... Thanks. Thanks. I'm excited. Um, anytime I've talked about this with someone who has daughters, they get really excited about mm. being able to read that and maybe read it with their daughters. So I'm, I'm hoping that that will be something uh, that's well received, but it's going to be a fun project for me. And then um, the Her Life and Shoes project is something that I've been incubating for several years. Now, when I was in college uh, as a theater major, I was reading a Vanity Fair article, an interview with Sir Anthony Hopkins amazing master of acting. So in the interview, they asked him, where do you start building a character? And he said, I start with your shoes. The shoes are the foundation that you walk on. They tell a story of where you've been or where you're going. And I was always fascinated by that article and by Mm -hmm. that little piece of information. So I started this thing when you're sitting in a waiting room or you're in the airport and you've got time to kill of looking at people's shoes and making up stories in my head about them based on their shoes. And then, of course, we've all heard the, you know, you don't know my story until you walk a mile in my shoes. Well, with women, I feel like, A, we all love shoes. B, if we try to seek out our similarities first, then we have room to explore the differences with respect and curiosity. So I've interviewed these women And I'm putting together a series of vignettes of life in their shoes. And so I would perform um, a vignette of each of these women's lives. And then the last vignette would be mine, my life. When I look back at my life at key pivotal moments, um, I always remember the shoes I was wearing. You know, it's Mm. just, it's a fascination with footwear. I don't know. Um, (laughs) But so each, each shoe has a story. And I, I plan to have a coffee table book that is largely pictorial with some interview segments over the photograph as a companion to the one woman show. And then I plan to, I haven't selected the charity yet, but I want a portion of the proceeds from both the book and the show to funnel into the charity of my choosing. So that, that's kind of a heart project that I have, um, I've had kind of incubating for maybe three or four years. I did some interviews when I lived in Tennessee with some women all over the country. In doing the interviews, Allie, it was really shocking to me because this was not the intent to uncover this and this was not the intent of the the project. But I found a really like disproportionately large amount of the women that I spoke to had sexual abuse, physical abuse, domestic violence in their backgrounds. And that was eye-opening for me. I was like, wait a minute. Mm. You know, this was this started off as being a, hey, I like shoes. And let's just learn to, you know, learn a little bit about sure. each other. And it, it quickly changed into something that had uh, a lot more weight, a lot more depth to it than even I expected. So I'm, um, I'm in that process now of really fleshing out what that looks like. But I'm super excited about it. That It's incredible to me because both of those are perfect for what you're doing and perfectly aligned with your brand and 
the message that you share with the world. And so I'm just so excited for you because I, I just am, can imagine that both of those are just going to take off. And uh, I think I'm so glad it, you think so. I, I can't. Well, I can't think of anybody <laughs> else that would be better to do it. I mean, you're perfect for it. So well, thank you, that's thank amazing. you. It's, and I don't talk about those a lot. I haven't shared that with a lot of people. So to get you know positive feedback is really encouraging. You know, it's you have these little projects that you just kind of they sit there in the corner and you love on them every now and then, but you don't give them the full bright light of day. Mm. And um, so it's like I'm 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 putting myself out there. A little vulnerable me is yes. saying. Here, here's my stuff. I hope you love it. Good job so, for yeah. doing that. <laughs> well, and me putting it on your podcast is another like call to action for yep, myself yep. because it's, it's out, out there. there. <laughs> and once I say I'm going to do it, I got to do it. <laughs> There's no turning back now, Christy. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, Christy, talking about selfish in a positive light and taking care of yourself, what are your favorite ways to be selfish? I like alone time. I really do. <laughs> I am an introvert and introverts need to replenish their resources with alone time. Extroverts feed off the life of the party, they like to socialize and interact. And I do like those things, but they are very draining to me. So when I've had, you know, a, a week of doing on stage question for Miss Kentucky or weeks of fundraising and public speaking events, those things wear me out and, and I love doing them, but I have to take my alone time. And that can be sitting with doing absolutely nothing. It can be, you know, going window shopping. It could be walking to the park, taking a bubble bath, reading a book. Um, but being able to be in a space where I don't have to interact with anyone, including my husband. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and he, he gets it. Uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> he's a bit of an introvert too. So we both kind of need that. But yeah, being being alone and and without stimulus is an important part of my self-care. Is there anything you wish you could be doing more? I, I wish that I were more physically active and also more active in nature. Um, horseback riding is something I love and I haven't done it in ages. So I need to put that on the to-do list to make that happen. I The best vacation I've ever had in my entire life was... The, it was a three-day rancher's ride in Brenham, Texas. And for three days, we camped up in the hill country. We got up, had a big breakfast, rode horses to somebody else's ranch, had lunch, rode back, had dinner, you know, songs around the fireplace. There were 300 people on this, this wow. rancher's ride. It was incredible. Um, but I have never had so much fun in my entire life. Hmm. And that was back in the day when um, I had my little disposable Kodak phone. Yeah. Or the, the camera. Uh, camera. Yes. Yeah, not a phone, but the camera. Yes. Right? And I lost it the last night of the event. No. So I had like not one photo. <gasps> but my, my girlfriend Amy in Texas invited me to go with her. One of her clients had horses that he was like, you can use our horses. I mean, I didn't, I didn't have a horse. <laughs> Right. It was it was just a really, really neat um, event. And I've always loved horses. They're beautiful animals. I live in horse country for crying out loud. Why? Why am I not doing this? So, yes, horse riding horseback is uh, is on my list of things to do more of. And what better place to be able to have that on your list? So, exactly. yes, you've, you've got to take advantage of that. So. <laughs> I think I should. Um, I feel silly asking this because um, we've talked a lot about what you have coming up, but I'll ask it in a different way of what's okay. <laughs> immediately next for Christy. 
I'm also really trying to ramp up my public speaking career. You know, the uh, the one the one woman show is something that I hope to take on the road and to and to perform and speak uh, with women's conferences or women's events. That would be my long term vision for that. But um, I do have, you know, 45 minute keynotes that I have prepared or that I can write as a writer. If you tell me I need, you know, mm. I need a keynote that addresses this go. I can do that, too. Mm. And I do enjoy public speaking. I enjoy interacting with the audience. Uh, that's something that is a lot of fun for me. So I'm hoping to to really ramp that up. I mean, you have so much going on, but yet it's like so exciting because it just perfectly encapsulates Christy Crenshaw. So <laughs> I am blown away by you, your skills and your energy. And I'm just so excited to see these projects come to life. So thank you for talking with me today, Christy. Oh, Allie, thank you so much. And thank you for what you do. You, you bring, you bring little stories to light. You bring them to people who wouldn't hear them otherwise. And you give us a platform to share, share the good stuff. So I'm really grateful for this opportunity to speak with you, to speak with your listeners and, uh, certainly look forward to connecting with you again in the future. Like what you just heard? Visit us at selfishthepodcast.com. Subscribe and leave a review on iTunes today.